One of the things that I think a lot of us will ask at at least some point in our life is a very simple question, and that's, am I doing this right? And that could be about a variety of things. It could be just about what you're making for dinner, and you're wondering if you've got the spices right or something like that, or it could just be about how you are a parent. Am I doing this right? Like, are my kids going to grow up screwed up or not? How much therapy do I have to pay for someday? It could be about what you're doing in school. You're wondering, hey, am I in the right program to get to the place I think I want to go at some point in life, but I'm not really sure about where I want to go, so what am I going to do? And you just kind of wonder these things. Am I doing this right? Am I being human right? I think it's a question that most of us ask in some capacity at some time and some point in our life, is we're wondering, are we doing this right? And I think it gets even more complicated or more challenging when we throw Jesus into the mix. Because we start to ask the question, Am I following Jesus right? Or is my relationship with God okay? Or is this the way it's supposed to happen? And sometimes it gets more complicated and more confusing and more challenging because things don't always go the way we think they should or the way they pl- we plan for them to go. Sometimes things get more and more challenging and different than what we thought it was going to be. And so we can ask those kind of questions. We go, am I just doing this right? You know, I'm showing up to church on Sundays. I grab a coffee. I sit in a seat. I sing some songs. Like, am I doing this right? And we think, is that what it is? Is that what this is about? Really, it's a question that's bigger than just you or me. It's for all of us. And really, the question that makes us ask this question of I'm doing this right is, well, what does faith look like? What does it look like to be a person who follows Jesus? And some of us are at different stages in our life when it comes to this question. For some of us, we're at the stage of going, well, I don't follow Jesus, so I don't really need to answer this. Others, we might be at the stage where, like, I've been following Jesus for 73 years. I think I figured it out, but I haven't really. So what stage we're at doesn't really make a difference. It's still the same question. What does faith look like? What does a life of faithfulness look like? What does it look like when we say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and things don't go the way we think they should? What does it look like when we say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and we don't really know what that looks like at all? Maybe nobody told us. We've been in this series in the book of James, and really, that's the question that James is answering. What does faith look like? What does it look like to follow Jesus in the first century world and today? And over the last few weeks, we've had some really insightful messages from David who talked about the passage where James talks about favoritism and how we're not supposed to show favoritism and how we still do show favoritism, but that's not the way of Jesus. And Andre shared, and I can't even explain what Andre shared because he is brilliant, but it was really cool <laughs> about computer science. And like I was like, my goodness, Andre, this is over my head, but it's beautiful because we, we ingraft ourselves into God's family and then God kind of takes over and that essence becomes who we are. And then James is exploring these kind of questions. He didn't have computer science back then, but he's exploring these questions because the question is, well, what does it look like to follow Jesus in your life? What does it look like to be a person of faith? What does faithfulness look like? And so we're continuing through James, and we get to a passage which is, is one of my favorites, I have to say, because it's, it just resonates a lot with me. And it resonates a lot with me, and 
for a variety of reasons. It's just kind of who I am, but hopefully it will resonate a bit with you too because it is answering the question what your life should look like if you're a person of faith. Because people have answered that question differently. But James, I think, makes it exceptionally clear. And he's also exceptionally consistent with the rest of the Bible. And we'll talk a bit about that as well. So we're going to jump into James chapter 2. And thinking of this question, what does a life of faithfulness look like? James 2 verse 14 starts like this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to follow Jesus but they have no actions that back it up? Can that faith save them? What good is it, brothers and sisters, if our language of faith and our actions of faith are not the same? That's the question he starts off with. He's asking the question, what does faith look like? He starts off with this and he invites his readers into this journey, and he's going to explain through this journey and his argument as to what it should look like. But before we jump to what he says, let's talk a little bit about sometimes things that we say and where it comes from. If you've been in church for a while, and depending on what church tradition you're in, the words that get used in this one verse make you think of different things. James uses the word faith, He uses the word deeds or works, depending on your translation, and he also uses the word save. Now, depending on what your church background is or where you've come from, those words might imply different things for you. But for James, he had something very specific in mind of what he was talking about. And it's consistent with, like I said, the rest of the Bible. Now, if you know a little bit about your church history, there's a statement that was made about 500 years ago, that said that you are saved by faith alone. Sola fida. And that was a reaction to what was going on in the history of the church at the time where people were saying, hey, you can buy your salvation. Hey, you can get out of jail free, but not so free. It costs $200, you know. And so they had this reality in that world at that time where people were like, wait, is that how faith works. We have to pay for it. And so Martin Luther, if you're familiar with this story, he read the Bible and said, hey, that's not the way it works. And he protested it. And we had something called the Protestant Revolution. And then we had a history of churches changing direction from the Catholic Church at that time, which we are part of that history in a Baptist tradition, just a little different than some of the other traditions. But a root of it was that you were saved by faith alone. And that is true. But along the way, it got a little confused in the biblical sense of what that means. Along the way, it became very much like you are so saved by faith alone, you don't have to do anything. In fact, you are so saved by faith alone, it doesn't matter what happens to people. In some parts of the world, some of you are from different parts of the world, and you've seen this in action. Some of you have been or are from El Salvador. This was one of the issues that plagued the church in El Salvador. It was so focused on faith alone and going to heaven that they didn't care what was happening to people 
living on the earth. And we do it too. We do it in different capacities. It's not just over there or somewhere else in history. It's us as well. We think, well, it's about getting to heaven. It's about being right with God in that way. So as long as I'm okay, that's all that matters. And we become very individualistic in that pursuit. And that's a misunderstanding of this idea of faith alone, which actually doesn't come up in that language in Scripture. Paul says something else that's very important in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that actually it's for grace you've been saved through faith. <clears throat> it's not of your doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. That it's grace that saves you, and it's an act of faith that you experience grace. That's what Paul teaches. And Paul says you can't earn that. You can't say, I'm going to give you $200, get me into heaven. That's not how it works. Or I'm going to do X, Y, Z, get me into heaven. That's not how it works. It's a gift from God. James is in complete agreement with that statement. It is by God's grace, through faith, that we are saved. When James uses the words faith, it comes from a Greek word that's pistis in origin. And what that means is it's a word that describes you've been persuaded into something. Each of us live a life of faith in different capacities. You today are living out faith just by sitting on the seat you're sitting on. Because you were persuaded that when you sat on that seat, it would not crumble underneath you. That's based on an experience. That's based on what you know a chair to be. And then when you're surprised by it, maybe you sat in the cafe one day and you're like, oh, this didn't go the way I planned. But I trusted that it was going to hold me up. Faith is you are persuaded to believe something to be true based on the evidence that you've experienced. James says, what is your persuasion that is true if it has no deed or work attached to it? If you're not acting upon it, do you really believe it? Is his point. Now he's going to expand on it. He says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. In the same way, Faith by itself, that persuasion that you have to believe who God is, that you are saved by grace, that belief is dead if it's not lived out in a tangible way. It's meaningless. It's not real. You're not really persuaded. Faith without action is dead. Faith without working itself out in some way of living in some capacity isn't what it's supposed to be. Faith is meant to be lived out, not just stuck in your head. That doesn't change 
that you are saved by God's grace alone. You are saved by God's grace alone, but it is not acted out upon. It is not lived out. It is not worked out. Paul will say, work out your salvation. This is what he's talking about. Think of it like this. Imagine you're a young child. You have high hopes and dreams of being in the NHL someday. Your parents who love you dearly say, yeah, I want you to realize your dreams. So here is all the hockey equipment you need. You have the hockey equipment. You can play hockey now. But not only that, I called Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby are all going to coach you. All you got to do is show up a Wednesday at 7 a.m. every week. And you think, wow, what a great gift. I have the gift to play hockey. I've been given what I need to play hockey. And then I've got people who are going to guide me, teach me, coach me to live hockey, to be hockey, to make it to the dream. But then I decide, ah, I don't want to go anymore. I don't want to put the skates on. I don't want to try. I don't want to get coached. I still got the stuff. I still have it. But is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? No. You are saved by grace. You've been given the gift of salvation. But if that gift isn't put into practice, if you don't go to the coach, go to Jesus and say, Jesus, how do I live this out? Nothing's going to happen with it. It's going to be useless. The gift is dead. You are saved by grace through faith to be worked out in love. You are saved by God's grace. It is a gift to you. But to take that gift and not use it means it's dead. That's what James is saying. He's not saying you are saved by the actions. He's saying you're saved by grace through faith, but it needs to be acted upon. It needs some cooperation in this. Faith without works is dead. Or you can think of it in another way. Think about it in marriage. Uh, I get to perform marriages, which is uh, a blessing uh, to be able to do that. I've gotten to perform some of your marriages. But if all your marriage was, was the wedding day, that moment, and then you never put any work into it, your marriage would be dead or you'd be divorced. If all your marriage was, was that certificate, that ring that I do, and you never put any effort into it after that day, your marriage would be dead. It takes work. doesn't mean you're less married. You're legally married. You are legally saved by grace. But you have to live it out in such a way that demonstrates that it's true every day. James continues, says, and kind of flips it at this point. And he says, well, you know, like this is supposed to understand this. You're supposed to understand that you are saved by grace through faith and it is worked out in love. You're supposed to understand that your faith without actions is dead. And then he flips and he says, well, but someone will say, 
You have faith. I have deeds. Show me someone without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He's saying, well, there's some in the church, there's some who are saying, well, you know, you have your faith, but look at what I'm doing. It's not based out of faith, I'm just doing good. And he says, well, that's just as dead, because you're not rooting yourself in the grace of Jesus. It's just as dead as someone who says, I have faith, but I do nothing. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We all know wonderful people who do lots of great things. Maybe they're in our homes, maybe they're in our neighborhoods, maybe they're in our workplaces, maybe they're just friends of ours, and they do wonderful stuff. And they don't do it out of a motivation that they say, I'm a person of faith, they just do it because they do it. But they're missing a big piece, James is saying, and that's Jesus. It doesn't make them any better because they're doing good things. It won't make you any better just to do good things. That's not going to fix the problem that we have. It doesn't change our brokenness. It's only in Jesus that changes. It's only in recognizing the death and resurrection of Jesus, the sacrifice that he did for our sins so that we could have life in its fullness that changes anything. And what James is saying is what it should change is how you do life. It should change how you do life to the point where you live it out in your actions. Not go, hey, I'm good, me and Jesus are good, let's just sit down and watch Netflix. But go, okay, God, I'm open to what you have for me. How do I live this out? He keeps going, he says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. A person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So if you are persuaded that God is who he says he is, that you are going to follow Jesus, that you have faith, you are made righteous, meaning you are right with God when you live that out. And he uses the example of the Old Testament. He uses Abram, who... uh, God invited him to sacrifice his son, and he was like, that makes no sense because you told me that I was going to have a son. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to be faithful and do it. And God prevents the sacrifice. There's a lot to that story that we're not going to get into at this moment. But he uses that illustration to say, this is how we know he was right with God. He lived it out. He trusted God even in a situation that made no sense and believed that God was who God says he is. And he followed him. He lived faithfully in it. Our faith, if it is not lived in faithfulness, isn't faith. It's a belief system for sure. But it's not the point. The point is a life that reflects what we say we believe. He finishes it off. He says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous 
for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So he uses these two Old Testament stories to illustrate his point. And again, he's, he's talking to an audience who would recognize these stories, who'd be like, yeah, I remember that story. I was taught it as a child. I still remember it. And so he's using them to illustrate how this is how God has always worked. That your faith, your belief system, has to be reflected in your actions. To say, I am a Christian, and then your life doesn't look like you're a Christian, isn't being a Christian, in simple terms. If you were to say, this is what I believe, then there should be some kind of consistency in the way you live it out. If you were to say, I follow Jesus, I have a faith that saved me, it should be reflected in how you live your life. Jesus summed it up very simply. You love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. Does your life reflect that? Does it reflect it only in this, like, in your head saying, yes, I do love people? Or does it reflect it in how you love people? Do you demonstrate it? Do you serve people? Do you care for them? Do you do things that maybe are not just for yourself, but for your spouse, or for your children, or for your neighbor, or for your friend? Or is it all about what you get out of it? James says, faith, your persuasion that God is God, that Jesus died for you, rose again, and invited you to have life in his fullness, is meaningless if your life doesn't look like it. So we flip the question and go, well, what does your faith look like? Does your faith, does your persuasion, what you believe, reflect who you believe in. We are all living lives that reflect something. Does your life reflect Jesus? Does your life demonstrate that what you say you believe is consistent with how you act? And this isn't a, I'm going to do these things so God loves me sort of how you act. It's I act this way because God loves me. So how you treat people who maybe are, let's say, less than you in a social economy makes a difference. So when you're getting a coffee, how do you treat the person who is ordering your drink or getting your drink for you as you order? How do you treat them when they're really, really slow and you wanted to be out of there five minutes ago? How do you live out a faith when you see people who you rather don't like doing better than you? Maybe people at work getting promotions that you feel you deserve. How does your faith work itself out in how you act from then on? James is deeply concerned that a life that follows Jesus looks like a life that follows Jesus. If we say we have faith, then it should look a certain way. Now, for some of us, we're off the hook. You you would say, hey, I actually don't believe this, so I'm good. 
And well, no, you're not good, because there's a whole piece about what makes us good, and it only comes through God. And you've got to figure that out. But for a good number of us, we've been saying for a while, like, yes, I follow Jesus. Well, then what does your life reflect? Does it demonstrate it in how you treat people, what you do with your faith? Faith without action is dead. Action without faith is equally dead. You need both. That's what a life with God is. A life that is reflected in our belief and our action. It's integrated. In missiology, like the work of missions, we use the word integral mission. And it came from an individual in the Latin America named Rene Padilla, who coined this term. It's about how you speak the words of Jesus as well as how you act the words of Jesus. That it's not just, hey, you need to know Jesus and get to heaven. It's, hey, you're hungry? I'm going to feed you because I know Jesus loves you. We need integrated lives of faith, is what James is inviting us to. And we have to decide, is that what we want? Will we live a life that reflects in our actions what we say we believe? And ultimately, we need to be asking ourselves a question, a second question is, are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit? Are you cooperating with what God is doing in you? Because if you read through Scripture, one of the things that Paul teaches is that when we come to faith, when we are following Jesus, we, are, we have the Holy Spirit, that God is present with us always. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to grow our character in such a way that it reflects God. The work of the Holy Spirit is you becoming who God made you to be. That includes how you act. Are you cooperating with what God is already doing? Or are you resisting it? We sang a song that sometimes I wonder, like, do we really know the words of these songs that we're singing? Because... They're pretty strong. We sang a song that said, if more of you means less of me, take everything. Do we understand what that means? That is a prayer to say, God, if, if it means that I can grow more like you, take those things in me that are not of you. And then if we actually want that to happen... We have to think of how do we live a life like that. That's a pretty strong prayer. But that's an invitation that we have when we follow Jesus. What are we willing to let go of what we think about ourselves to be more who he says we are? You need to know that your faith, if it's not lived out in action, is dead. And your actions, if they're not rooted in faith, are equally dead. But you are saved by grace through faith that's working itself out in love. You're saved by grace, God's grace, God's free gift to you that is an action of faith. And as you live that out, it is demonstrated in love for neighbor, 
love for God, and love for self. Is your faith reflecting what you say it is? Does your life demonstrate you believe who God says he is? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are uh, inviting us into a life that is more than we could ever know on our own and better than we could ever imagine on our own. Jesus, you said that you came to give us life in all of its fullness, uh, that you know the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, uh, but you came to give life in all of its fullness. When we desire this life, Lord, I pray that we are just open to how you will work that out in, in us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you... Uh, remind us how close you are always, that we don't have to invite you in. You're already there when we start following Jesus. We just need to cooperate with you. Help us, Lord, to cooperate with you. Help us, Lord, to be open to how you're moving in us and around us, to be attentive to what it is that you invite us into. God, I know you are with us. Sometimes we just need a reminder. Remind us that we are saved by your grace. That this, this hope of new life found in you is only a gift from you, not something we can earn by our actions, but is a gift of grace through faith, through a trust that you are who you say you are. And it is lived out, worked out, through our love for each other, even those people we don't know, and our love for you, and our love for who you've made us to be. Help us to live lives of this faith, lives that reflect the truth that we know is only found in you. That there is another name in heaven or earth that anyone is saved but in you, Jesus. I pray we demonstrate that daily, moment by moment in every way possible. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.